0: So you can open your Bibles in First Timothy chapter six. We'll be covering from verse eleven to twenty-first. And today I will finish my series of sermon in the book of Timothy, the first letter to Timothy. Again, first. Timothy, chapter 6, verse 11 to 21. Let me read the text. But as for you, O men of God, flee these things. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. I charge you in the presence of God, who gives life to all things, and of Christ Jesus, who in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession, to keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which He will display at the proper time. He who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in inapproachable light, who no one has ever seen or can see. To Him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, not to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to to, to be rich in good works, to so be generous and ready to share, thus storing up, storing up treasure for themselves and a, good, and a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. O Timothy, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. Avoid the irreverent battle, babble and contradictions of what is false called knowledge for by professing it, some have swerved from the faith. Grace be with you. Let us pray. But Father I pray that as I speak your word that you lose my tongue this morning. So, Lord, when I speak, let your spirit, spirit speak through me, Lord. Lord, my confidence is not in my knowledge or in my power to convince or persuade people. I pray, Lord, and my confidence is in your word that transforms, renew, wounds, binds up. And that's what we pray for this morning. Speak to us through your word in the power of your Holy Spirit. And help me, God. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> now, according to some data currently, There are more than 40 armed conflicts in the Middle East and North Africa, 35 in Africa, 21 in Asia, 7 in Europe, and 6 in Latin America. Some of these conflicts start recently, while others last for more than 50 years. Some of these conflicts made headlines, while others do not. Currently, there is a war happening in Palestine, and another war between Ukraine and Russia. There is also a growing tension in the Middle East against Iran, Lebanon, Yemen, lately. Nobody would deny that we live in times of war. And at this moment, bombs are being dropped, guns being fired, and people being killed. Most of them innocent civilians. The people in the first century, they were well familiar with war and the horrors of war. The growing tension and uncertainties before war and the suffering during and after war, after the conflict. It's good to remind remind ourselves that the Roman Empire, they came to power and dominance over Palestine and minor Asia by swinging the sword and killing thousands upon thousands. They shed much blood. They conquered by crushing resistance. In our passage today, the Apostle Paul is, Paul is encouraging Timothy to fight the good fight of the faith. So he's drawing from this, from this context of war that people were well familiar in the first century and saying to Timothy, Timothy, you must wage war because you are in a warfare He's telling Timothy and the church in Ephesus to take arms and engage the battle. Timothy is not being encouraged to fight against the Romans, neither unbelievers or the worshipers of Diana of Ephesus, but to fight for personal purity, to fight to keep the gospel unstained, free from arrows. to keep the gospel pure. The fight that Paul is urging Timothy to engage, it is not an armed conflict between nations or political parties, but a spiritual warfare. A spiritual warfare. And this warfare is of of a far greater importance and reach Every born-again believer is involved in this warfare whether we are aware of it or not. And this letter to Timothy is about this spiritual fear. From the first chapter, we see this. We see Paul telling Timothy to stand up in his faith and to combat false teaching and the false teachers, false doctrine. And we see him urging Timothy to pursue godliness, to train himself for righteousness, holiness, purity. In our text today, Paul tells Timothy to do three things. Flee, pursue and fight, flee, pursue, and fight, but the question is, is, oh, (laughs) nope, there it goes, flee, pursue, and fight, but flee from what, flee from what? This is a reference to the first half of chapter six. Paul warned Timothy to the dangers of the love of money and the false teachers who wander away and were seeking to cash in from faith, to cash in on faith. We saw this in, in back in November when I preached from this section. And as a man of God, Timothy is to flee at all cost from the love for riches and the things associated with it. Timothy is to flee from it and keep on fleeing. Otherwise, this love will eventually catch up and entice his heart. It is like driving a highway 65 miles per hour. While driving, we are supposed to keep our attentions focused in front of us, and the road in front of us, Right? We know that a small distraction, as we're driving 65 miles per hour, can be deadly. However, while driving, sometimes we get distracted with our phones or the kids in the back seat or music or any, whatever. And sometimes we don't even realize when we're driving that we start shifting from the lane. And we don't realize, little by little, we are not driving straight anymore until someone behind us just yells at us or honks at us, and then we realize that we are swerving, we are missing the lane, and then we we come back. The love of money had the same power to distract our attention from the right path in front of us. And without noticing, it's like this very little by little, we start moving away from the right path, from the right understanding of God and towards the world. That's where the Word of God comes and reminds us, come back. But we need to be very careful. We need to be alert. We need to wage war so that our hearts might not be enticed and distracted and without even realize, we are not only missing the lane, but we are going away from the highway. Like Timothy, we must flee from this love and keep on fleeing by walking on the straight path. Having our eyes and our attentions fix it on Jesus and his gospel. In verse 17 to 19, Paul warns against arrogance and the false security of the riches. I'm just jumping a few verses ahead because he talks about money and and riches and wealth in the in, in, in the end of this chapter. So, I'm just going to tie these two passages. I'll come back to the verse in the middle. So, Paul urged Timothy to exhort the wealthy among the church in Ephesus not to build their religion upon the seeking sand of riches, but on God. They are to use their wealth to help the needy and be generous. And in doing so, they will store up for themselves a treasure in heaven this one and this is a one last reminder because Paul already talked about this in the first half of chapter 6 now he's coming back on this issue again and this is like one last reminder to Timothy and the church the dangers of riches and wealth and putting our trust on those things because the false teachers, they went after those things. They swerved from faith. They, after being enticed by the love of the world and money, they are now apostates. They are proclaiming a different gospel. They not only miss the lane, they are walking a different hallway. Always reminded this church that contentment and hope is found in God and that wealth are means to bless others and praise God. And one of the ways that we flee from the love of money and its enticing power is to give and to make it a priority. Perhaps you may be asking, this is my third sermon that I'm touching on this subject of money. But notice that we're just following the, the flow of the text. Because this is a big concern for Paul. He had seen it in this city in this of Ephesus, this prosperous city where the center of worship of the goddess Diana of Artemis was there. And people coming from all over the places to offer her gifts and worship and buying things and selling things. a very prosperous city. And say, be careful, Timothy. Be careful, church. The love of money and its enticing power. If you have made your priority and part of your budget to give this year, praise the Lord for that. Praise the Lord for that. I saw the the statement sent to us, the email how the church in in, in the month of December gave generously. Praise the Lord for that. Praise the Lord for that. That you you have chosen to support in partnership with this church in, in proclaiming the gospel. May the Lord continue to encourage you to grow in generosity and look for opportunities to help others. Continue to do that. You are storing up for yourself a treasure in heaven. I cannot repay you. Damon cannot repay you. But the one who has given us all things, he will. He promised that he will. So continue to do that. However, if giving is not your priority, in all part of your budget, I would tell you to reconsider. Thinking through this passage, Reflect on this passage, reflect on the book of, of Timothy and pray for our own heart, for your own sake. Given is worship, and by not giving, you are misusing what the Lord has given you, and you are missing a huge opportunity to exchange what is temporal for what is eternal. Don't miss that huge point that Paul is making in this passage. Remember this. All of these things will be burned up when Christ Jesus comes. Nothing will withstand. Nothing that man has built to this day will stand when Jesus Christ comes in His power and glory with His angels in heaven. When the trumpet will sound, everything that we have built our diplomas, big buildings, and big houses will be burned up. And the question will be, did you build your, your kingdom on earth? Did you build all your hopes on this sinking sand? Because in the end, it will just be wood for fire. But if you're using your money, To store up for yourself a treasure in heaven that will stand forever. Reaches are like sand. It's not a good place to build and to put our trust and hope for the future. Now coming back to, to the middle of this passage. Verse 11. But as for you, a man of God, flee these things, Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. Pursue these things. Pursue what? Pursue what? The verse just tells us to pursue all these things, righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, can be translated to uh, perseverance, endurance, and gentleness. Some version says uh, meekness. Righteousness relates to what is right in relation to God and man. Godliness or God-likeness refers to the, one, to the one's reference and conduct before God in everything. Faith and love are the supreme in Christian virtues upon which every believer is called to build their lives upon. A selfish sacrificing love for God and others, and a resolute faith in God and his word. Perseverance, because this pursuit of godliness is like a life, it is a lifetime commitment that requires endurance. It is interesting that Paul calls Timothy to pursue gentleness in this passage. And and why not? Hospitality or, or patience. Why gentleness? Specific. And I think partially because why Timothy is to be firm in his convictions and not shy, shy away from his task to oppose and correct false teaching. Chapter 1. He is to do so with Gentleness. He used to be firm to oppose false teaching, but to do that with gentleness. How many? How many have used verse twelve as a banner to fight for truth and for what is good, which is which is which is true, but left behind, verse eleven. How many have gone into the world lashing out fierce attacks on other people while forgetting that prior to verse 12, Timothy was called to pursue pursue gentleness. I like what a commentator says on this passage. He says this, Timothy is to pursue virtues, and behavior, they are the opposite of the false teachers. And that reflects the gospel. While these false teachers, these babblers, are seeking to engage the people in contradictions and, and, and discussions, vain discussions, Paul is telling Timothy, be firm in your faith. Do not shy away from opposing false teaching. But even in that, do it with gentleness. May the Lord in His grace guide us in this pursuit of godliness and understanding of the gospel so that when difficulties appear and opposition arise, we can remain steadfast in our faith, firm in our convictions, and gentle towards others. But then he tells Timothy to fight to fight against who or what. The Greek word for fight gives us the English word agonize. This is the same word that Paul used in Second Timothy chapter 4, verse 7. I fought the good fight, have finished the race, I have kept the faith. This word was used both in military and athletic contexts. The point is that Timothy, as a man of God, is to strive to discipline himself for the battle. Timothy is in a spiritual war against the world, the devil, and the flesh. And he must make every effort to win. Sometimes we say right to others, and we tell them, you must pick your battles. What we mean by it is that a person must wisely select which conflicts are worth his or her energy or, or which, which ones are not. However, in regards of spiritual warfare, this is not an option for the child of God. No one who has been born of God is neutral in this warfare. In fact, no one can. If you have been saved, you are not, you cannot be neutral. There's no way for you to be neutral. Or we fight. Or we fight as soldiers in God's army. Or we stand as His enemies. There's no way that we can stand on the fence and, eh, maybe not today. So you are on the other side. If you have been born of God, this is your war. This is your battle. This is our battle. A battle for holiness. A battle against the world. A battle against sin. And a battle against the enemy of our souls. The devil. So, in first instance, in this passage, Timothy is called to fight against unrighteousness, ungodliness, lack of faith and love, against discouragement in his own life. That's the, the, the place that we must, at first, we, we, we must fight in this, in this instance, in our own lives. To love God instead of money, comfort, security... It is a fight, and it's on, isn't it? Right, isn't it? Have you ever battled, or, or, or don't you love buying things, having things, have desire of having things, or having house or car, better this, better that? And how do we? How do we continue to love God or love Him above all these things? It's a battle. It's a fight possessions and the things of this world has an enticing power. We know it. We experience it. It is a constant battle to put God and His kingdom first when there are so many things competing for our attention and demanding our time. So in one sense, Timothy is to fight for personal holiness, for his spiritual fitness, like a soldier, like a soldier uh, who needs to be in good health to go to war, so does a child of God. Must be spiritually strong, spiritually fit to go into battle and to battle well, to fight well. And you are not going to be spiritually strong and feeding yourself with breadcrumbs. We need wholesome meals. And this type of meal, we sit at the table and eat, takes time to prepare. I don't know what a devotional looks like, but if you are living of listening to this and listening to that, my friend, this is not a wholesome meal. Wholesome meal We open God's Word, whatever that looks like to you, if it is on an iPad or on your actual Bible, and you read it, and you meditate on it, and you pray God's Word. It has been since the beginning and hasn't changed, regardless of the age that we are living and how much technology we have. That hasn't changed. If your devotion is not based on this, you are eating breadcrumbs. Because we feed our souls when we spend time with the living God. We come to here to listen to God's Word and we collectively are listening to His Word. But on a daily basis, your Word, your, your soul is being fed and, and nurtured spiritually. When you open your Bible and read it, you meditate on it. Isn't there a battle and it's on? And we have thousands of excuses not to do that, right? It goes for I'm tired and I'm busy and this and that and this and that. And all these things might be true. There are enough excuses. Breadcrumbs will not get us through the hard days. Just look around. Look around the world we are living. It's changing. We live in a post-Christian society. If you're thinking that you're going to be able to subsist the hard times that are, that is coming, if you're eating only breadcrumbs, you are wrong. You are wrong. Hard times are coming. In fact, they are upon us. You think you're going to be able to lead your family if you're eating Only breadcrumbs, you are wrong. Things are changing. We must open our eyes. We are soldiers and must be fit and ready to fight on a daily basis for our own spiritual fitness and for the hard times that are coming. As I said, they are actually upon us. We are feeling it, we are seeing it. Things are changing. Like Timothy, we must put up a fight against the flesh and all unrighteousness. Friends, as the children of God, we are soldiers. We are not spectators. You are not spectator. In fact, you cannot be. Now, even though the devil is not mentioned in our text directly, he is indirectly. The devil is the enemy of mankind, the old serpent, the deceiver, never slumbering, never sleeping, always seeking opportunities to destroy and kill. His tactics are the same, sowing seeds of discord, other times whispering doubts in our ears. He's the unseen enemy that is always lying because he is the father of lies. He's a murderer from the beginning. And in Him there is only darkness and deceit. If you are a believer, He is your enemy. And if you are, if you are not saved, but you are seeking the path of life, you are seeking to follow Jesus, know this, this enemy will do everything he can to mislead you. Everything, absolutely everything to mislead you from the path of life. Sometimes through, through false teaching, false friends. In the case of the church in Ephesus, the devil promising riches, right? Pleasures, power. What is it? What is your weakness? What is your weakness? He is your enemy. The devil is our enemy. And this passage reminds humans that he is called to fight. But he's called to fight not with the, the weapons of this world. Friends, I know the things that I'm talking to you, these are not new. You have heard these things before perhaps. But I wanted to call your attention, because this is what God's word does to us, to reminds us, to make us aware of our own sin and our need. And today, the call is for us to stand on our feet and be aware that we are in warfare. So the weapons that we use are now of our own. First Corinthians chapter 10, verse three. To 4. For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. That's why Timothy is called to have faith. Because if you don't believe that God's word has the, the power to destroy strongholds, we're not going anywhere. We need to have faith, believe that when we open the Scriptures and we open Psalms and I'm reading and I'm, I'm, I'm praying every line of the Psalms, I must believe that I'm praying the very words of God to Himself. I must believe, I must have faith that the things I'm praying has the power to destroy evil strongholds. What kinds of weapons are these? Ephesians chapter 6, verse 11 to 18. Quickly, I'm just walk through this passage. But look, just, just hear this wonderful passage that reminds us of this war- warfare and the weapons that we are supposed to use, that God has given to us to withstand the evil of our days to withstand our enemy, and to withstand the power of sin in our own flesh. Verse 11, put, "...put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not rest against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over, the present, over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places." Take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Pray at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, to to stand firm. Keep alert with all perseverance making supplication for all the saints. Notice that this passage, Paul is saying to take up this whole armor of God, and he's talking about the truth righteousness, and in faith as a shield, salvation as a helmet, the Word of God, a sword to fight the enemy, to defend himself and to attack you see, the, the, the language is like battle, fighting. You have a in, in, in whole armor to guide into battle, to protect you, to empower you to fight. You know, it's wonderful. In verse 18, he says, praying at all times. Praying at all times. You see, there's no disconnection between the sword... The word of God and prayer—it's like you need both. You need faith. You need the sword. You need the truth. You need to be reminded that you have been saved to protect you from the doubts of "I'm not saved" or 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 the discouragement that comes from it. In First Peter chapter five, verse eight to nine to nine. The Apostle tells the believers to resist the evil one and he tells us how. By being firm in our faith. Look at the passage. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Pay attention to the language. Put on. Take up. Fight. Pursue. Flee. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversar- adversary, the devil, prowls around like a rowing lion, seeking someone to devour, resisting him, firm in your faith. There's no place to be neutral or, or just to watch, grab some popcorn and watch like UFC and just watch others fight. It's like, oh, this is, this is fun. People are fighting. But this is a true, true fight. You are in the cage and you are battling. You are fighting, whether you are aware of it or not. Back to our text in verse 12, as well as in 1 Timothy chapter 1 to 18, Paul calls this spiritual warfare a good fight this is a good fight this is a good fight it is good because the victory has already been won by the blood of the Lamb. we just sang this song even though why in this body of flesh we are still in the trenches fighting right? maybe sometimes wounded with blood of our face Tired, but we are in the trenches fighting, knowing that the victory has been won. We have no fear. I'm not going to lose this battle. It has been won by the blood of the Lamb. Tiresome I might be, but I will endure. I'm in Him, He is in me. I will, I will win. In fact, we already won just a matter of time for the crown of glory the wreath of glory be put on our heads just a matter of time it is good because while because we are not fighting on our own it is a divine power working through us that enables us to stay put and endure it is good because the resurrection of Christ reminds us that it is worth to keep on fighting because there is a glory and a great, great reward to be revealed. We have no idea what is coming to us. We might be discouraged, weak, tired of this life, and we long for heaven, and that's a good thing to long for heaven because what is coming is great. It's awesome, and no one has ever imagine what is coming to us from Christ, from Jesus, from God, what He has prepared for us. He is wonderful. And we are going to be there, not just for a period of time, but forever. So our life here is just a moment. Perhaps you are a teenager, and you might think, I have my whole life in front of me. Perhaps you are in your childish, childish years. I have my whole life in front of you. Who says that? What's the guarantee you have of your life? What is? You think there's any guarantee that you're going to be alive tomorrow? No. None of us has. So it is today that we must look to this Jesus who won the victory and call for His help and call for His grace In this strive for godliness, for godlikeness and truth, Timothy is, Timothy is to hold tightly to eternal life. This is a reminder for Timothy not to become complacent. He, has already, he already has eternal life. His confession of faith in the presence of many witnesses might be an a allusion to his baptism. Paul is reminding him that his confession was legit, was true. Therefore, Timothy is to press on without fear or wavering. In verse 13, Paul encourages Timothy by reminding him of Jesus' testimony before Pilate. In the same way that that Jesus made the good confession before this Roman authority, so Timothy must remain steadfast and keep the Gospel, free of errors, until the return of Christ. So, Paul is putting Jesus and the picture of Jesus before Pontius Pilate and is showing to Timothy, Timothy the same way that Christ, he remained faithful. He did not waver in his confession of faith before Pontius Pilate, this Roman authority. So, you must remain faithful in your walk with Christ before false teachers, before the, the, your enemy, before the world remain faithful look at him look at him and this solemn charge to Timothy and then and then Paul solemnly charged Timothy reminding him that he is to do that knowing that he stands before God and Jesus Christ he it is as if Paul is calling God and Christ as His witnesses for what He's saying to Timothy. Remember, Timothy, that we, we always stand before God in Christ Jesus. Press on, look to him who did not waver. He made the good confession, remain steadfast. So you, so us. in verse 15 to 16, Paul interrupts his line of thinking, his way of thinking in a wonderful doxology, in a wonderful doxology. In doxology, praise saying, this is the literal translation of the word doxology, praise saying. In a simplistic way, doxology is a statement of praise of God. So they understand what the word is about. It's like doxa, glory, and, and, and logos. Word or to say or saying. Putting together means words of praise or praise saying. This is a well familiar word for us Christians, even though we do not find this word in the Bible. And as Maca- MacArthur points out, doxology comes in response of God's glorious work. On man's behalf. Doxologies weave through the Bible. The Psalter ends with a doxology, Psalm 150, and we just sang this Psalm. And if you look at Psalm 150, just quickly, I think we should not miss this, but if you look at Psalm 150, look at this. Praise the Lord. This is doxology. This is praise saying. So in this passage, Paul, after talking about all these things in the middle of this passage, he comes with this statement of praise to God. Go back to our passage. Look to verse chapter 6, verse 15 and 16. Look at his, what he's saying here. He who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, who alone has immortality and who dwells in approachable light, who no one has ever seen or can see, to him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. This is praise, eh? It's like after six chapters of giving instructions to Timothy, encouraging Timothy. And talking about Timothy's responsibility as a man of God and minister, Paul ends up with a doxology. As the pastor H.B. Charles explained that in Paul's writings, doxology are bridges. It helps him to move from important theological statements to application and praise. And according to Charles, right theology ought to lead to high doxology a right thinking about God ought to lead to a right worship of God. In this verse, Paul is praising God. He's just praising God. He gave his counsel to Timothy. Um, cannot go any further, and he bowed down in praise. He said, Timothy, this is all I have for you from the Spirit. And he breaks out in praise and worship. Isn't that wonderful just to see it? What a wonderful thing. Friends, this is our goal. Our knowledge of God must lead us to praise Him. It's not the only goal, but the purpose by which we were created. Worship God. You were created with this purpose. To worship Him, to know Him, to experience Him. And in doing that, you will find satisfaction, contentment, true joy, happiness. If your theology is not leading you to be a better worshiper or a more fervent worshiper, you must reevaluate your thinking of God and your relation to Him. Remember the Westminster Catechism? What is the chief and the highest end of man? What is the chief and highest end of man? The answer is found in another doxology in the book of Romans. Chapter 11, verse 36. For him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Forever. The chief and highest end of man is to glorify God and to fully enjoy Him forever. This is the goal of us preachers of the Gospel, that you may leave this place with a greater understanding of God, yes, but that this understanding may may translate into worship in your life, into praise to whom God is, that your affections might grow warmer for Him for his word, for his people, for his gospel. I don't want to impart only knowledge to you, but you have this greater desire to see God. This must be the one goal we have in mind, to give God praise at all times and glory in everything. May God help us to be better worshipers. May God help us to, in our days just break forth in praise whether we are in pain or whether everything is going well. And I want to conclude saying this. As a child of God, I just want to remind you a couple of things that we talked about. As a child of God, you and I, we are in a spiritual warfare against sin, the world, and the devil. And as I was preparing this sermon this week, and I shared this with the brothers before starting the sermon, I felt the weight of this sermon this week in my own flesh. I was sick on Thursday, weird. I asked my wife to pray for me. My voice is still much better. I felt the weight of this sermon on my own flesh, in my own home and outside of the home. And I'm going to tell you this because spiritual warfare is a reality. You must be aware of it. We must fight well. We must feed ourselves well on God's Word. Otherwise, we won't subsist. We won't be firm. You won't if you're not feeding yourself well in God's Word. Friends, we are called to flee the love of money, pursue holiness, and fight well. Fleeing and pursuing. And fighting requires a conscientious effort. And I like what J.C. Ryle, a pastor in the 18th century, he says about this, this passage. He says that true Christianity is a fight. Pay attention that he uses the word true. True Christianity. True Christianity is a fight. And true Christian is a soldier. Second, true Christianity is the fight of faith. Third, True Christianity is a good fight because we are not fighting alone. Friends, I pray that as the people of God we may battle on with, against our sinful hearts, the weakness of the flesh, against the Lord and the devil, that we might press on while not neglect the one thing that truly matters, the pursuit of God, praise of God. Let the let, This example of Paul in this letter, this doxology, this praise saying, be a theme in our lives. That we might be better worshippers, that we seek to be better worshippers, or just to better worship God. I pray that the Lord, on His return, may not find us being complacent, but engaged in the good fight of faith for our own good and for His glory. Let us praise. Let us pray. I mean, I'm going to give you a few...